the rest of us uh, will be here uh, continuing in our series on the book of, well, the, the story of Elijah and Elisha. All right, so uh, today we're going to do something a little bit different uh, following the New Testament's treatment of Elijah. So uh, what does the New Testament do with Elijah in the passage that we're looking at today? Uh, it, uses, it uses Elijah to give us an example, an example of faithful prayer and the power and effectiveness of prayer uh, set before God and trusting him. So as, you've, as you know, prayer is an essential part of our faith. Prayer is supposed to be this thing that distinguishes us from the rest of the world that we are people who are dependent upon our God and who interact with him as children to a father and who recognize our, our need for his involvement in every aspect of our lives. But as, as I interact with people about prayer and as I look at my own heart, I realize that prayer can be a, a messy thing. Uh, most of us feel guilty about prayer because none of us do it enough. We don't do it the right way. We don't know what we're supposed to say or we, we don't necessarily feel the need for it. All right. Others of us, uh, prayer is mired in, in just doubt. And we wonder if he's even listening to us, if he cares, if he's going to do anything, if it changes anything to pray one way or another. Others of us are deeply hurt. That we've heard all these promises about prayer, we've heard about the character of God, we've gone to him, and we feel like we've heard nothing. So in light of that, in light of that, I want to encourage us in terms of prayer by looking at Elijah, by looking at uh, just, as the Bible calls it, just a human, a man, whose prayer was, was powerful and effective, and how we might have that same powerful and effective prayer going to the Lord through our Savior, Jesus Christ, and enjoying enjoying the, the witness, the testimony of God as he answers us. So uh, let's read 1 Kings 18, verses 41 through 46. Now we just had the, the showdown between the prophets of Baal and Elijah. And here we are in the end of verse 18, or chapter 18. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And at the seventh time he said, Behold, a little, crowd, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising up from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while the heavens grew black, and the clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. 
Now we have a second passage. Uh, we're going to look at James 5, which is the application of this in the New Testament. So we're going to turn there as well. James 5, 16 through 18. Meaning that second half. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was, was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again. And heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we praise you this morning. And we ask for your help. We can do nothing without you and... uh, Lord, we ask for your word to be revealed. We ask for clarity. We ask for understanding. We ask for our hearts to be sensitive and to be full of faith. And Lord, would you protect us from the doubt and cynicism that saturates us when we talk about prayer. Lord, we ask for great freedom from guilt and we ask for, uh, for awe and wonder at the path of prayer that has been offered to us the blood of Christ. Lord, would you help us uh, that we may uh, see this gift that we have received and use it to your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. All right, so we're going to break down kind of uh, Elijah's prayer here into some different attributes and see how we might understand it and uh, and imitate it, learn from it, and uh, we're going to start by looking at this first attribute Uh, the ability to kind of hear and anticipate the working of God. To hear the story that God is writing and incorporate our our prayers into it. Another way of of understanding, just praying the, the will of God. So Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. Now remember where we are here. Uh, Elijah and Ahab are down at the river's valley And they have just destroyed the prophets of Baal. They had this showdown and they have defeated idolatry in a very real sense. They've wiped out all of these false prophets who have been deceiving the people, who have been drawing their hearts away from the Lord. What does it say? It says that Elijah is calling for their, their hearts to be restored, for the hearts of the people to be won back for the end of idolatry to finally happen. And now that that's happened, Elijah turns to Ahab and says, you know what, if you're going to eat and drink, you need to do it now. There's no judgment for Ahab. He wasn't the one who was going to be destroyed. He is still the king. And he says, you know what, if you're going to have a picnic here and, and, and do it now because it's about to rain. All right. He says this weird thing. uh, Why should he eat and drink? For there is the sound of rushing rain. All right, what is he talking about? All right, first, this is not, this is not him hearing the physical rain that is coming. All right, if that's what this is about, if that's what he's saying here, then the rest of this passage doesn't make any sense. And James, which says that he prayed and then it happened, uh, that would be a lie. And the rest of the actions that he does wouldn't make any sense. So he is not hearing the rain and just saying, oh, yeah, I I better pray real quick before it gets here. That's not what is happening. 
Instead, instead, what is happening? It seems that he, he so knows the work of the Lord and the path that they are on that even though he hasn't prayed for it to happen, he can already hear it. He has the prophetic sense to know that it's coming. It's as good as already done because he's sure that the Lord will provide it. Now, in the words of, uh, of Paul Miller, who writes a great book on prayer, he talks about this as, as kind of being able to read and hear the, the poetry of God, the poetic way that he works, to be able to, to read the story and walk the narrative that God is, is writing in, in everyone's lives. We've already talked about how Elijah has kind of incorporated himself into that story. He is a prophet. And he's a prophet who has seen the idolatry of his nation and the, his king abandoning the one true God. And he, he puts himself into the role of the, the bringer of, of judgment, of the curses that were promised in Deuteronomy. He didn't make up this story. He's saying, like, I've seen what God promises to those who are idolatrous, and it is. It is drought and it is famine. And so I'm going to pray for it because... God has revealed that that's what it's supposed to happen. But as he's continued the story, now he's seen that idolatry being destroyed. He's seen the hearts of the people return. And so he knows what the story should look like. He's saying, okay, I see that no one's going to be taking this credit for this rain. Baal's not going to say, oh, wow, the storm god did it. No, he's been defeated. And now that idolatry has been defeated, he doesn't need to continue to have this famine and this judgment upon his people, now the Lord can reveal himself as provider, as the, bringer, the true bringer of rain, the true bringer of life. And so it's time, it's time for the rain to come. And Elijah can hear it. All right, so that's where, all right, good stories, good stories are consistent. They're consistent. The characters the characters remain kind of believable and they don't jump between motives and, and the worldview of the story stays the same. All right. Now, what's, what's the, the best example I can think of of where this did not happen? All right. Major plot hole, my, my like childhood disappointment. All right. Star Wars and The Force. All right. So I grew up on the original Star Wars. Right. And what was the force? The force was this like mysterious thing of faith, right? And you had to like feel it and believe it. And there are some people who are like wise in the ways of the force and they could, they could feel it saturating everything. And, but it was this thing of faith. It was, they were like religious gurus in a sense. Okay, so uh, in middle school, episode one came out. All right, yes, we all remember it. Uh, all right, so this is the continuation of the story. I know, you're, now you're trying to figure out how old I was and who I, how old I am. Uh, all right. Uh, maybe I was in elementary school. See, that's, that's what some of you are thinking. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, yeah, he's not that young. Sorry. <laughs> Dave over here is like, mm, I'm thinking I'm younger than you, and that's not how it happened. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, yeah, elementary school. Um, that's so not the point. All right. <laughs> Back, back on track. I, I, illustrations are bad enough. They're off the point anyway. All right, so how are they going to deal with the force? 
This thing of mystery and faith. All right, what they reduced it down to midichlorians. All right, they decided, all right, how do you know you're a Jedi? We'll do a blood test. And if you have another, enough little force beads in your blood, then you're a Jedi. All right, what did it do? It's just like, it killed the whole thing. It took this thing of like faith and mystery, and it's like, oh, we'll, we'll test your blood. And that's how you know. Just like you could test for celiacs. Like, it's as fun as that and as interesting. <laughs> All right? And like, everyone was upset because what, it turned this thing of faith into like this like scientific, dead, cold thing. And like, the stories, they were broken. And it didn't make any sense. All right. Here's the application of this. All right. All right. God, God has, has woven a story. He has told a story. And it's a story of faith. It's a story of his glory. It's a story of man's dependence and our rebellion and our need for him more than anything else. And it's a story of, of restoring relationship and faith and dependence and love. And our prayers, our prayers need to make sense in that story and not, not feel like this plot hole or this stupid thing that's kind of off on the side doesn't make any sense. So, when we're thinking, like, when someone prays for a million dollars, we realize, like, that is the wrong story. That, that's, that's not the thing you're supposed to be asking for. That's midichlorians. And they're like, it doesn't make any sense. And then people are like, if prayer doesn't work. Uh, like, no, like, you, you are just off in your own universe somewhere. All right, so, uh, so what are we called to do? We're called to find our place in the story of, of God. And pray for things that make sense according to the things that God loves and desires. And he's established as the story of the universe. And for those who are well-versed in and wise and know God personally and have read the word and, and know him, these things aren't mysterious. And when they look at life, they're like, oh, I can, like, I can see the trajectory that I would see God taking in that person's life. Or I can understand what, what he's doing in this situation building dependence, building faith, building confidence in Christ as opposed to, to love for sin. And, and they fall in line with, with that and they, they bring it to the Lord in prayer. All right, that's what I'm talking about when I say like to pray the will of God, to hear the story and hear this, hear the, see the poet being written. That's what we're kind of trying to fall in line with when we pray. All right, what I am not saying, I am not saying that your goal is to anticipate what God is going to do anyway and just happen to pray it ahead of time. All right, that's, that, I said, that's not what Elijah did. Elijah didn't hear the rain. He's like, oh, I'll pray real quick because it's going to happen anyway. And that's where some of you, some of you think that that's what you need to do in order for prayers to get answered. All right, that is, that is a wrong view. That's a faithless view. That's a godless view. It's not how prayer works. God listens and answers prayer. He's not just going on this course and like, hey, throw a prayer in and, and it, it'll feel like it was answered. No. All right, if that's your view of prayer, it needs to change. All right, we are praying to a personal God who hears us and loves us. 
and wants to see our prayers incorporated in the story in a way that makes sense and in a way that we get to, to see the unfolding of the story and our part in it. Because he loves us and he's our father. And he wants to hear from us. And he wants to, to align our hearts with his and, and carry us along and show that he is present. That is, that is, that is prayer. That's why older people are usually better at praying. Because they, they understand the story and they, they see that goal. All right, so I ask you, are you listening to the story? Are you anticipating God's working? Are you seeking to align your heart with the, the goals of God? Are you looking for his promises and his patterns and shaping your prayers accordingly? All right. All right, next thing we learn about prayer. This is humility and helplessness. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel and he bowed, down, bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. All right, we've lost this reality in, uh, in our kind of modern world. All right, posture. Posture communicates. We are embodied souls. So bodies and souls together and you can't tear them apart. And so actually, what you, what you do with your your spirit and your, your faith and your mind shapes your, your body in a sense. And the things that your body does shape your faith and your spirit. These two things communicate. And so we have this fundamental posture of prayer. Or right, I'm going to do it so you remember. All right. What is he doing? So he's, he's bowing down. He's putting his hands like this and he's praying. All right. What does that communicate? He's, he's helpless. He is powerless. He's balled up in the fetal position before his God and Father because he is utterly dependent. And he cannot, he cannot do the things that he is supposed to do. He's been given this task of making it rain. And that is the posture of, of that task. And the only thing he can do is come to his father, come to his God, and say, like, please, please act. You need to do something that I cannot do, but you can. All right. Do you understand that you are a child? You are a child of God and you cannot do the things that God requires of you. But, okay, so how often are we in that position? Or almost never physically, very rarely spiritually. And why? Why is it so hard to get into that position? Right, it's the story of, of Elijah. I know some of you are like, because I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll go give you a pass. All right. Uh, all right. So what, uh, this is the story. This is right. This story of, of syncretism, right? So syncretism means uh, taking two different religions and pairing them together and muddying them. 
In Elijah's case, it was a syncretism of Yahweh and Baal. And they're mixing them together and, and they're becoming like their culture and worshiping Baal. All right. What is the culture around us worshiping? What is their religion? I'd say it's fundamentally, it's atheistic. Most of the people are living like they don't believe in anything. Like there is not a God. And if there isn't a God, then you are on your own. Anything that's going to happen has to be yours to make happen. And no one's going to do it for you. No one's going to help you. And so just live your life independent of any outside force and do what you have to do. Get it done. Work hard. That's how things happen. Okay. That's what our culture says. That's how you're supposed to live. And it says work, 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 and receive, receive, receive. All right. How often, how often do you feel a need, a need for God to act? That you cannot do what needs to happen. That you are utterly dependent upon someone else to, to save you or to, to help you and assist you. Or how often do we just figure it out? Or do our best and without prayer just kind of make our way in the world? All right. Just a reminder. Right. You have sin in your heart that you cannot get out, that you cannot pay for, that you cannot battle, that you cannot defeat. Your spouse, you cannot change them fundamentally from the heart. Your children, you cannot save them. You cannot convert them. Satan, you cannot defeat him. You cannot ensure your well-being, your wealth, your prosperity, your comfort, your next breath. You do not have power over those things. You do not have power to overcome temptation. You don't have power to change the world out there. You do not have the ability to do these things. They are impossible for us. They were never possible for us. Just like you can't make it rain tomorrow, you can't do any of those things. And yet, what do we do? We try. We try and we fail, or we try and we think we succeed when we have put band-aids over real problems. All right, so there's this fundamental shift that needs to happen. We need to turn from being people who feel like we're supposed to pray to being people who need to pray. All right. Uh, one of the great counseling Christian minds, uh, David Pallison, uh, he said, you know what? I pray. I pray for the same reason I breathe. So I don't die. So I stay alive. Because if I do not pray, then I'm going to utterly just collapse into sin and despair and hopelessness. I'm, I will 
just be utterly slave to sin in my weakness. And I cannot do any of the things that God has called me to do unless I'm praying because they're all things that are above me and beyond me. And so what do I, what do I want to see? I want to see in my heart and in your hearts this fundamental shift, not from guilt over not praying enough, but of this profound need to pray because we know how much we need God to be working. All right, I, know, I know most of you feel guilty about not praying enough. It's because you don't see your fundamental need. I don't see my fundamental need. But once we understand just how little we can do on our own and how that's, that trying on our own is fundamentally faithless, we will need to pray. We will need to pray. All right. Are you prepared to repent of your fundamental atheism, of your functional atheism, and start bringing God into life? So when you see like, a problem with your spouse, you're not thinking, I need to yell at them. You think, yeah, I need to pray for them. When you see problems at work, it's not like, well, how can I solve this? Like, I should, I should expect God to solve this. I should be praying about all these things. I have to buy a car. I am not able to make a good decision about this. All right, God alone is. He's able to resist temptation and lead me in the right way and give me what I need. And so why would I not pray? All right. Are you willing to be helpless and powerless before a powerful God who, who cares and loves and responds. Or as a bonus, as a bonus application, try getting in that position when you pray. It'll change the way you pray. And as embodied souls, like, it's, it's supposed to work like that. That's like the normal, that's the normal prayer posture. Because it reminds us of who we actually are and how much we need him. All right, next, next. Let's look at the praying itself. Uh, verse 43. And he said to his servant, go up, look toward the sea. And the servant went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. All right, this is persistence in prayer. All right, Elijah, he's, he's demonstrating what faith looks like in the midst of prayer. And he prays. And he says every time, go look. Go look because it's, it's, he's going to answer. And when he comes back, he says, no, go, fine, I'll pray again. Go look again. And again, and again, and again, and again. All right, what do we often do? We get discouraged. We start to doubt. We think, well, maybe I'm not praying the right prayer. Or maybe, uh, maybe God doesn't answer this kind of prayer. Or maybe we're not supposed to pray like this. Maybe this is too bold or this is like, making assumptions. We give God an out. Like maybe, maybe this, this, this isn't his will. And All right, this is his will. We know. We know it was his will. And Elijah has to do it seven times. We have this expectation. Well, no, a, a good prayer should be answered instantly. Like, no. Nope. It's not how it works. All right. 
Do you have that kind of resolute heart and persistence and consistency? Or are you quick to abandon? Or do you like throw out prayer as the last Hail Mary and there's like no time for God to work because you like <laughs> everything's already said and done. You're like, ah, oh, it's just a mess now. I screwed everything up and now I'm, I'll pray once, but uh, it's too late. All right, yes, we do that. I do that. Um, so why does God, why does God take so long to answer? All right. This is a relational interaction with a relational God. This is not an interaction with a vending machine. And he has, he has other priorities besides shooting out Cokes. Okay? Uh, all right, so it's a testing. It's a trial. To wait is to, is to be forced with this, like, will I have faith? Will I endure? Like, will I trust him? It's a waiting, and it's a listening, and it's a figuring out the story. And as we pray, and as we, we wait for that answer, things start to change. All right, maybe our prayers change, and that they were really vague before. And we realize, like, God would get no glory to answer this prayer. I wouldn't even know if he did or not, and so we have to narrow it down. and be like, no, I, I want to pray for this specifically. Or maybe the opposite needs to happen. We're so idolatrous of this certain outcome that we need to branch out and be like, okay, God, like, it doesn't have to be this. I realize in my heart, I, this wasn't a faithful prayer. This is my story that I wouldn't have written, and it's not the way you would have written it. Or maybe we start to see that our prayers are selfish and sinful, or, or we see that the, the preconceived notions we have about God need to be broken down, or... Maybe we need to grow in patience and humility and dependence. Or maybe he's answering this in a way longer timeline than we have anticipated. All right, that's part of the story. The Israelites, they were enslaved in Egypt. Some people only saw slavery and they cried out for God to help. Did God answer them? Yes. Yes, he came in, in one of the most amazing ways in all of history. But some people didn't see that. And their prayers were answered for another generation. We saw in, in Revelation that the prayers of the martyrs saying, we want justice, like, do, do your work. And what does he say? He says, wait. Wait until the last days. The very last day of the earth, I will answer that with those prayers, but not until then. Are their prayers answered? Yes. And in a way that could not be answered in this world. But they're answered nonetheless. So what am I calling this to? Uh, endurance, persistence, patience. Listening and watching and building this kind of hope that God will answer. Not falling into the trap of despair or doubt or loopholes and abandoning prayer because it doesn't work.
All right, now let's see uh, the answer to prayer, the effectiveness of prayer. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising up from the sea. And Elijah said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. All right, so what's the servant's report here? All right, so there's, yeah, so uh, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising up. All right, just let me clarify. This is, this is not the shape of the cloud. It's not a hand-shaped cloud like God is like reaching up and this is like miracle cloud. No, what is it saying? It's saying it's about this big. It's about the size of a fist. And he sees this little cloud and what is he like? God answered our prayer. Ahab, like king, he goes to the king and says, you know what? Yeah, I was right. Go, go quickly or else the rain is going to get you. And like they're looking over and <laughs> that, that's coming to, to get us? All right, this is, this is, he believes in God's effectiveness, in prayer's effectiveness, that God is going to come through. And he sees this tiny sign and he's like, there it is. It's going to happen. All right, and this is part of how prayer is effective. It like, it builds in us great, great faith and confidence and it changes the way we interact with people. And he goes to a king and says, you know what, you, you better get ready for the rain. And he knows it's going to happen. All right, when we pray, it's, it's effective in changing us. In the way we, we respond to people. If we're praying for our spouse, we don't need to be mean to our spouse to get what we want. If we're praying for our kids, then we don't need just to like discipline everything out of them. All right, if we're praying for situations, then we can trust to, to see God work. All right, that is true. Yes, there's a change in us. That is not all that changes. Some of you think that is all that changes when you pray. That prayer is effective because it changes you, but doesn't do anything out there. That is not the case. That is not the case. Yes, it changes us. It also changes the world. Verse 45. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went out to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was upon Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. All right, I'm not talking about that running part. It's not part of this sermon. You're never going to hear about it. Tough. All right. <laughs> I don't know why we do that. All right. Uh, all right. Back to prayer. Um, all right. So I'm asking a, a very simple question. Why was there a storm? What caused the storm? Why did this little, little cloud rise up and the heavens grew black with clouds and wind? All right, some of you think you're biblical scholars and you say, because God sovereignly did it. Or because that was what God ordained from the beginnings of the heavens and earth. Or because it was going to happen anyway. All right, that is not what the Bible says. That's overthinking it. That's over-spiritualizing. That's over-theologizing. And it says why it happened. James 5. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, 
and the earth produced its crops. All right, this is a story of how prayer is effective. About Elijah and how his prayer was effective enough to cause it to rain. All right. Please, please do not try to overthink this or wiggle out from under it. Prayer is powerful and effective. It works out in the world. And, and you can't even get out of it because you're like, well, he's a prophet. No, it says, it says how his prayer was given as a human being. Are you a human being? Then you are equally qualified to offer effective and powerful prayers. All right, so what does this mean for us? Uh, all right, some of, we've already talked. Some of us are functional atheists. Others of us are functional deists. All right, what is a deist? You're not as familiar with that term. I know. All right, so deism. It essentially says that, uh, that when God created everything, it's like he created a stopwatch that runs itself. And he turned on the stopwatch, the earth, and then he went on vacation and left the watch at home. And basically everything just kind of happens the way it's going to happen. And he doesn't interact with any of it because he doesn't need to. It just runs and runs and runs and he's off somewhere else chilling in peace and, and doesn't act anymore. Now I know none of you would say I'm a deist. But sometimes in our prayers we are functionally deists. We say things like, well, prayer isn't supposed to do anything. It's supposed to change us. That God isn't going to respond to our prayers. That prayers don't change anything. That they're not effective. They don't do anything. And and why do you do it? Because God tells you to and we obey. All right, that's true, but that's not very powerful. No, he says pray because it's powerful and effective. Because it does change things. All right, that does, not cause, that does not destroy the sovereignty of God. God is so powerful and so sovereign and so amazing that he can both sovereignly ordain all things and our prayers can be powerful and effective and actually work out in the world and be interwoven into the story and into the plan in a way that is personal and that is real and such that the storm would not happen unless Elijah prayed it. All right. That's scriptural. That's biblical. That's good theology. And if you want to kill prayer, that doesn't mean you're good at theology. That means you, you have a simplistic understanding of how God's sovereignty works. It needs to change. So, uh, I, I cannot solve that mystery for us, how those two things can coexist. But the Bible says they do, so we trust him. So pray. Pray because it's powerful and because it's effective. Pray because he's given you this great gift to affect your world, the hearts of the people that you interact with, 
to, to change life and death. To break down the gates of hell. To usher in the kingdom of God. All right. All right. Will you use it? Will you go to the God of the universe? Will you offer prayers that are powerful and effective? All right. But last caveat here. There's, there, is, there is one problem, and some of you picked up on it. Uh, it doesn't say the prayer of man is powerful and effective. It says the, the prayer of a righteous, a righteous man. And then some of you are like, well, <laughs> prayer is not for me. Because that's, that's honest. We're, we're sinners. We are sinners, and we are dead in our transgressions. And, and our hearts are broken when we come to prayer, and... We get the story wrong or we have stories that are completely obsessed with ourselves and so our prayers are corrupted. And All right, how can we say we are righteous such that our prayers could be powerful and effective? All right, I want to remind us. Where does our righteousness come from? Who is our righteousness? Jesus is our righteousness. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Right. We have a vicarious righteousness. We have a savior who is righteous on our behalf. And it's through Jesus and his righteousness that we offer every prayer. Ephesians 3, Jesus in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. We have access to the throne room of God with great confidence because we have his righteousness that covers us. Do not go in your own righteousness. Do not go in your own name. Go in the righteousness of Christ. That's why we pray. As we tack on that in, in Jesus' name we pray. It's, it's that. It's because we come in his righteousness. All right, also, just a note. Don't say, in your name we pray. That's praying in God's name. No, we pray in Jesus' name. And don't say, in his name. Like, say, like, we say Jesus because it's a reminder of us. Like, no, we're coming before the Father through the Son. We are in him. We have as much an audience with the Father because we are now his children through Christ. And we come covered in the blood of Jesus, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, united to Jesus, so that when God listens to us, he listens to his son. And not only that, but he also, he, he intercedes for us and prays for us, and he, he filters our stupid prayers and our foolish prayers and like, uh, we're not going to pass on that one and like, for their good. And he helps us with these things. He gives us the Holy Spirit who, who groans inwardly on our behalf and prays things that we ought to be praying or we can't even put into words. We have a Savior. We have a Savior who lived as one weak and dependent and who lived with his hands between his knees, his head between his knees, who said, not my will, but your will be done. 
He knows what it's like to be weak and to suffer and to, to not be able to do the things that he's called to do, but who sees the, the strength and the power of his father. It's him. He is the one who is creating this righteousness in us. He gives it to us and then he creates it in us. He, he aligns us with the story. He reminds us that the story is a story of, of death and resurrection, of the cross and the empty tomb, of, of suffering unto glory. And he, he builds us and, and walks us through the story. And it's through him that we have this great gift. That we have something that is powerful and effective. Let us use it to the glory of God, to the joy of being in personal relationship with our Father, and to, to glorify his name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can come before you in Christ, in his righteousness, and Father, we ask that you would shape us and change us such that we would understand your, your will that we'd incorporate into your story. Father, that we would, we would know our, our need for you and our need for prayer. Lord, that we'd see more aspects of our lives that, that need prayer and need your hand and need your, your power. Father, that you'd give us faith to be persistent in that prayer and to not doubt or deny that we'd be long-suffering and trust in your promises. And Father, we ask that you would help us to offer prayers that are powerful and effective. Lord, that honor you and glorify you. That affect the world and and Lord, are, are offered in love and a desire to see you lifted up. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would change us and shape us, that you would intercede for us, that you would help us. And Father, we ask that, that we would pray. In Christ's name we pray.